0: Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health.
1: We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or
0: menopause. That's why we create Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves. So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're having a lovely week so far. Lately, I have been pondering why I feel a certain way throughout the month. Sometimes I feel productive and on top of the world. Other days I have zero interest in socialising and all I want to do is lay on the lounge with a good movie. And I was wondering, do you ever feel this way? It has come to my attention that this could be a reflection of where I'm at in my menstrual cycle. So wanting to understand more so I can build my meal plans and workouts around each menstrual phase, we invited Faye Sheridan onto the podcast. Faye is a health practitioner, menstrual cycle educator, qualified personal trainer, and the founder of Cycle Sisters. Her mission is to empower women to optimize their health, address the root cause of their period-related symptoms, and tap into their innate female energy. By seamlessly integrating exercise, education, nutrition, Faye adopts a comprehensive four-dimensional approach to healing menstrual cycle dysfunction. In today's episode, she gives us the tools to reconnect with our health, energy, and emotions through our cycle and beyond. Faye, welcome to the podcast. Could you explain to our listeners a little bit more about what a menstrual educator does? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And yeah, a menstrual educator, basically
1: there's two sides of it, I guess. So I educate other coaches on the importance of the menstrual cycle and understanding the menstrual cycle so that when they're working with female clients, they can just take into consideration the menstrual cycle when they're dieting or when they're training, or when you know a client turns up and they 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 feel less than optimal. So there's that side of things, and then I also educate just general population, just women understanding what is happening through the menstrual cycle what actually is the menstrual cycle because I think so many we weren't taught this stuff at school we were so, so you know it's crazy and the more I learn about it I'm like this blows my mind that this doesn't get taught at school um and so just educating women on the menstrual cycle and the ebbs and flows of our hormones and how that can impact us both physically and emotionally week to week day to day so that in a nutshell that's what a I, I a menstrual cycle educator is. Um, I guess there's so much more when it comes to education for women. It's not just about the menstrual cycle, but I do have a big focus on the menstrual cycle.
0: Yeah. So how did you get into this line of work?
1: So I became a personal trainer and um, I predominantly worked with females. I think like the vast majority of PT clients are females. And so I I was fresh, you know, just on my certs and I started um, coaching women and I just noticed that women would turn up to a session and we would talk about their, you know, oh my God, I've got bad PMS or I've got a heavy bleed. I might need to change what we do in today's session. So I was just like, I need to start paying attention to the menstrual cycle and how that is impacting my clients when they show up to um, the PT sessions. So I had no idea really, about sex hormones and the role that they play and the impact that they can have on us. But all I knew intuitively that I needed to start tracking my client's menstrual cycle so that when they do turn up to the session, I can ask them, hey, where are you at in your cycle? How are you feeling? And maybe we need to change the way that we do training on those days. Maybe we do more mobility. Maybe we um, decrease the intensity depending on where they're at in their cycle. So that's how it all started. And then I just started to dive into books and research and yeah, there's lots of, I've I've learned from a lot of people over the years as well. And so yeah, it's just, I went down the rabbit hole from there.
0: <laughs> well, as you said before, it's not taught in schools. And what I've learned from doing this podcast and meeting people like yourself is this is such a I don't even want to say grey area, there's a no area in schools and they're taught about their periods and tampons and pads but they haven't learnt the other phases and even, I'm embarrassed to say this, I'm Mm -hmm. 30 years old and I'm only now listening to my body and being like, why do I feel flat today? Oh, it's because I'm in this phase. Why am I feeling more productive? It's because I'm in this phase. So I'm (laughs) embarrassed to admit Mm -hmm. that it's taken me this long to recognize my cycle. But for our listeners, how do they start identifying what cycles when what's a normal menstrual cycle look like? What I usually get the people that, you know, come to see me or have a consult
1: or do my course, I usually get them to just start tracking. So, and what I mean by that is tracking, you know, first day of bleed and putting that into an app or putting it into a diary. And then I get them to track how they feel throughout the cycle. So usually it's like day one is like your first day of your, your bleed. And then, um, you know, the cycle starts again, you know, the next bleed, that's like the very baseline. And then we can go a little bit deeper and start looking into tracking ovulation, which is usually, you know, the next step. So if someone is, has never tracked before, I just get them to track the duration of their cycle. So from bleed to bleed. And then once they've nailed that, we start looking at ovulation and ovulation it doesn't get spoken about a lot, um, but ovulation really is the main event of the menstrual cycle. And ovulation... Is basically the release of an egg and then once that ovulation has occurred, we're left with this temporary endocrine gland called the corpus luteum and that is responsible for producing progesterone. So without ovulation, we can't produce progesterone. And so that's why it's so important that we do start to track ovulation at some point to understand, okay, if some of these symptoms that I'm experiencing, maybe it's because I'm not ovulating or maybe it's because my luteal phase is quite short and my progesterone and estrogen ratio is out. And so back to your question, what's normal and what's not normal, yeah. I'll always start with what's normal first because that's the shorter answer because there are so many things that have been normalized. However, they're not normal, they're just super common. I guess what is a normal cycle, it can be, you know, anywhere from 25 to 35 days. Um that's kind of like what I like to look at as far as, you know, cycle length. And then we want to look at, okay, what's the length of the bleed and how much blood is being lost. And so the length of the bleed can range from anywhere from three to seven days. But then we also want to look at blood flow. So is someone going through a tampon every hour on the hour and they're bleeding through to their underwear or, you know, through the night onto like, you know sheets or anything like that? Are they experiencing clots? And so understanding how heavy or even light your um, flow is, is really important as well, because that can say a lot. So anywhere from like three to seven days, anything longer than seven days, a bit of a red flag, but you also want to be looking at flow. And um, then we want to be looking at what other menstrual signs are you experiencing? You can experience fatigue as you lead into your cycle. That's perfectly normal. And yes, your mood will change slightly. However, those highs and lows mood swings, they're not normal. Um, And like a slight bit of pain, you may feel a little bit of, you know, cramping leading into your bleed, but it shouldn't require pain medication and it shouldn't be debilitating or it shouldn't stop you from doing day-to-day activities like pegging out the washing, picking your kids up from
0: school going and doing the shopping that kind of stuff so going back to emotions and mood people Mm -hmm. do get pms with their periods what is like counted as like okay that's a good emotional response or oh my god i need to get checked because i am raging like where's the line really good
1: question and really hard one to kind of (laughs) Um, do like a generalized ads. That's okay. (laughs) Let's break the cycle into two to make it easier. We have the follicular phase where estradiol is the most abundant hormone. And then we have the luteal phase where there's progesterone, but there's also estradiol alongside progesterone as well. In that follicular phase, we're very much... I like to call it the masculine part of the menstrual cycle and I like to call it the doing part of the cycle where you have all this abundance of energy and you can push through and you are more communicative and you're more, you've got more energy naturally. And so what I find women do when they lead into the luteal phase and especially in that late luteal phase, so about seven days out from the cycle, I see women still trying to be the same person as they are in that follicular phase when really they should be doing more of filling their own cup up, maybe, you know, not spreading themselves uh, selves thin with, say, um, you know, social events or, or you know, pushing harder in the gym or something like that They're or they're not looking after their nutrition. And so these are all things that can impact mood if you're ticking all of those boxes and you are making sure that you're recovering and filling your cup up and making sure that you've got adequate amount of nutrition, then the mood decrease, you will start to see kind of like that mood decrease due to the dip in hormones. So progesterone and estradiol will come down and you'll feel more lethargic. You'll feel like you want to go more inwards a little bit more as well. I'm not saying you should have two separate ways of living with the cycle but I think you do need to be aware of where you're at in your cycle so that when you need to fill your cup up and just give back to yourself it's you need to do it more in that luteal phase so for instance like I'll I'm very much aware of where I'm at in my, in my cycle and I will make sure that I don't book a whole heap of social events or you know if I know I've got a social event coming up I'll make sure that I'm ticking all the other boxes so that I can you know, uh, conserve that energy, so to speak.
0: Hey, it's Grace here. Just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say it's time to start nourishing you join the eight week program and get eight weeks of easy delicious meal plans with full shopping lists and at five dollars fifty or under per serve it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy each week we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste you don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals plus fun online workouts mentoring from industry experts and access to our exclusive sleep school spots are limited join now now let's get back into the episode if you're on the pill or any contraception that changes our hormones, can you track your menstrual cycle while you're on the pill or does it not really work that way? So with the pill, it does
1: It does suppress. Um, basically with the pill, it's suppressing our natural hormones and it suppresses this communication pathway between the brain and the ovaries. And so I always say to people, we start menstruating from the brain first. Okay, so oh, wow. there's this communication pathway. And then the pill will shut down that communication pathway. If you are having a bleed on the on some sort of birth control like the pill, then it's not a true period as such. You're not ovulating. Um, it's usually due to the withdrawal of these these um, synthetic hormones. So you could track when your bleed is coming, and a lot of women do that on the on the pill. Um, however, it's not a true menstrual cycle. There are other devices out there, like the Marina or the Copper IED where you can still have a menstrual cycle. The Copper IED you can still have your, you know, natural hormones, and you can still track. Um, with the Marinas, it's what I see with clients that have been on the Marina. They. It's harder to track things like cervical mucus Um, and I do see that a lot of women who are on the marina don't actually ovulate even though they say that you can ovulate on the marina. Depending on the type of birth control that you're on, um, yeah, generalising it, if you're on the pill, you're
0: not having a menstrual cycle. So when you go off the pill, do you have to let those hormones run through your body and detox before you can start tracking or will it just go straight into a natural cycle?
1: Or is that really good
0: question? And I'll, (laughs) I'll talk
1: from experience as well. And like from client experience, but also my own experience, it really does depend on the individual and how they respond to coming off the pill. So I have some clients who have been off the pill for six months and they still don't have their cycle back. Oh, wow. I've got, I'll use myself as an example. I came off the pill wanting to conceive. This was way back, like 10 years ago. And I didn't, I conceived in the first month. So I didn't even get a bleed and I conceived from first ovulation. Wow. So it can be as quick as that as well. So yes, it can take a while for your hormones to kind of kick back in and to find that rhythm again, but it really does come down to the individual. So what I would do is... I would say to women who are listening to this, like when you do come off birth control, start tracking things like cervical mucus, start tracking things like basal body temperature, because more often than not, you're going to start, uh, you're going to ovulate first and then have a a bleed. So how do you track
0: cervical mucus? And what was the other one? Temperature, did you say?
1: Yeah, basal body temperature. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So cervical
1: mucus is like a discharge. Yeah. So we have like non-peak and peak cervical mucus. And depending on who you speak to, they'll have different ways of describing that. So it could be like clear and watery. It could be like an egg white consistency. It could be like sticky. Um, So we have different types. And then you'll usually see that around, you know, the, the late follicular phase and around ovulation as well. And ovulation is where, you know, Closer to ovulation, you'll start to see this increase in this uh, cervical mucus, and it's quite, it becomes more kind of like um, the consistency becomes more like egg white, I guess is what the term that I would use. Um, And that's a sign that ovulation is about to happen. Now, the basal body temperature is another biomarker that we use to confirm ovulation. So, what will happen is once ovulation has occurred, a woman's basal body temperature will start to inter- increase by 0.2 to 0.4 degrees and so you'll o- the only way that you'll know that is if you start tracking your basal body temperature and that is something that you would need to do with like a, a basal body temperature thermometer ideally first thing in the morning and then recording that information uh, via an app so I use read your body with um, with most of my clients and yes there's different devices out there so there's um you know there's just your average basal body temperature thermometer that you can get from the chemist Um, and then there's other wearables like temp drop or you know um i think aura ring does like a link up to an app as well so there's a few different devices
0: out there so with these things that you're monitoring is there any red flags that women should be aware of
1: Yeah. I mean, this is like all these different biomarkers are telling us something. So if you're not experiencing cervical mucus and you have vaginal dryness potentially, and you're not going through say menopause or you're not on the pill. Um, then potentially you may be low in estrogen. So that could be a sign. Um, if you're having, you know, heavy periods, you could potentially be low in progesterone. Um, that's just one thing, you know, one of many things that could be causing heavy periods. But yeah, all, and, you know, if your uh, luteal phase should ideally be around 11 to 16 days, 11 to 14 days, anything shorter than that, potentially your progesterone is low. Anything longer than that, maybe you haven't ovulated when you thought you ovulated. So yeah, there's all all these signs that we can look out for. Um, if you know if we're tracking basal body temperature and we don't see an elevation, then maybe we haven't ovulated. There's many things that can interrupt basal body temperature though, so that's why cervical mucus is a really good indicator because after ovulation occurs we can see that cervical mucus dry up as well they're just um, a few things that you can kind of look into and start and then you're looking at the length
0: of your menstrual cycle as well so when if these I say red flags do pop up where can women go what should they do who should they talk to i mean there's so much stuff on social media these days and i love that More
1: people are speaking about this on social media, so there's some great accounts out there. I mean, I'll give myself a plug if you want (laughs) to go follow my Cycle Sisters page. I talk I'll talk a lot about um, red flags, and I actually have a free Facebook group page as well where I talk about these red flags a lot. Lara Bryden has a really good book about periods and what's normal and what's not. So there's lots of books out there as well. If you are suspecting that you have some like abnormal pms symptoms you know seeing seeking someone like a health coach or a naturopath they're going to probably be more clued up on this kind of
0: stuff rather than say a general practitioner you mentioned before that you started as a pt and you were helping women build their workout routine based on their menstrual cycle so what did the different (laughs) trainings look like in the different phases
1: i don't necessarily manipulate their training as such um and I, to be fair i actually try to empower the the female to make these changes herself or just be aware of you know things that can impact her training so you know some what i wouldn't recommend is doing say something like a heavy 1rm in you know the first couple of days of your bleed um i wouldn't recommend that high intensity so just being mindful of that because a lot of women do suffer with PMS and chronic PMS symptoms. And that can just be, um, if you're walking into the gym and you're going to do a heavy one RM, it could go to shit. Excuse my language. That's okay. so <laughs> the way that I change, the way that I change, like I empower clients to either change or alter their training is maybe you look at decreasing the load of the weight that you're lifting maybe you don't do a lower body session where you need the ability to brace more and maybe opt for an upper body session in those first couple of days maybe you if you're just if you're suffering with you know heavy bleeding or constipation diarrhea or bloating severe bloating in you know the lead up to your bleed maybe you opt to go for a walk or a yoga class or something like that or um some mobility rather than trying to push hard and in the gym or something like that I really try and get like empower them to make to make the choice I guess self-parent so it's up to them like listen to their body and if you turn up to the gym and you start you know your session and you just you're not feeling it or you feel like you know death then it's okay to pull the pin it's okay to Come back and do the session in a couple of days' time. You're not going to have your period forever. So, because when we look at training around the menstrual cycle, there's two different types of people. We have athletes where sometimes they can't alter their training. Um, and then we have general po- population where they can alter their training around their menstrual cycle. So, it's really just empowering them, making sure that they check in with themselves before their session on the gym floor. Like, are they hydrated? Have they been eating well? Did they sleep well? Maybe if they didn't have all of those three things ticked off, then maybe, again, that's another thing to look at when you're stepping into the gym to do a, a resistance session or res- resistance training session. There's a lot of stuff out there saying like in certain parts of your cycle, do this exercise or do that exercise. Yeah. And it's just, it's not, yeah. yeah, it's hard for some women to just show up and do exercise. So why would you alter it from week to week, day to day, that kind of stuff? So
0: I was finding that I when I was motivated and productive I'd want to go to the gym but then when I'd lose motivation I wouldn't want to go to the gym but then I wouldn't do any exercise to replace it because I actually didn't like going to the gym (laughs) so I've recently found um swimming I love it and it's something where I can push myself or I can just relax Mm -hmm. and ease into it so I think finding yep. the exercise that works for you is really, well, has worked really well for me.
1: Yeah, definitely. I totally understand that not all women want to do, you know, training. However, I am a big advocate of uh, some sort of resistance training for women, just because of the loss of estradiol as we get older and how that can impact lean muscle mass, bone density, that kind of stuff. So resistance training from woman to woman will look completely different. Like it won't look like what I do in the gym. And for some women, they will, freak out what I do at the gym, but it could just be, you know, doing some, um, Pilates to start with. If that's your first kind of resistance, uh, training, maybe then you can look at using dumbbells and stuff like that. I do understand that the gym isn't for everyone. However, if you can incorporate some resistance training for women, um, because of that, that decrease in as we get older, then, um, yeah, it's, it's beneficial.
0: How does resistance training help Like what does it do to your muscles and your body?
1: Yeah, so resistance training helps you build lean muscle mass, Um, whereas I'm not saying that swimming is a bad thing, but there's no (laughs) kind of resistance with swimming. (laughs) (laughs) So it's great for cardiovascular health, but it's not great for building muscle. And, you know, lean muscle mass. So when women are in their primary productive years, we have this abundance of estradiol, and estradiol uh, is responsible for, one of the building blocks of lean muscle mass. And so it is important to have that lean muscle mass because as women get older, we do run into things like osteoporosis or sarcopenia, which is like decrease of of muscle mass or loss of muscle mass. And it's important that we have this because otherwise, as we get older, we're going to be more susceptible to injuries or falls or lots of things. So it is important from that point of view to do that resistance training and it's also good for like health as well like blood yeah. sugar management uh weight loss that kind of stuff
0: and you tapped on before you were talking about when clients come in they need to be hydrated well rested so is there things like foods that we should be eating throughout our cycle that can help with our exercise routine and our menstrual cycles again there's a lot of
1: information out there about how you can eat cyclically, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I always kind of, the way that I look at this is that a lot of women can't now the fundamentals of nutrition, let alone change their diet from week to week within the cycle. So I, I think women should, be well anyone should be predominantly having a whole food diet um and you know i'm all for enjoying some of those you know treats and and foods that we all love but predominantly having a whole food diet making sure that you're getting adequate amount of protein healthy fats like omega-3s and carbohydrates as well i think a lot of women have this fear of carbohydrates where we actually really need carbohydrates and um we also need carbohydrates to have you know healthy ovulation, healthy menstrual cycle. So um, making sure that you are getting those macronutrients in. And then as far as things that can help with the menstrual cycle, I think like omega-3s, a lot of people are low in omega-3s. And that can help with a lot of PMS symptoms like pain, um, having a diet that's high in omega-3s, whether that's through supplementation or through food. I find that a lot of people aren't getting enough through their food alone. So potentially a supplement can help with that. I wouldn't change food as such from week to week or you know different parts of their cycle. What I will say though is that A lot of women, and you might be able to relate to this, I know I can, will see their hunger increase in that Mm -hmm. late luteal phase as we, you know, come into the bleed. And that's because progesterone has this thermogenic effect on the body. And so we've, we've seen that increase in our basal body temperature and we're actually burning more calories at rest. So we can burn anywhere from 200 to 400 more calories at rest. And so maybe depending on where you're at on your health journey or weight loss journey or weight gain journey, whatever that might be, maybe you increase your calories. Maybe you don't increase your calories. It really is, it, it really is case dependent. But the fact that you're feeling hungry could be because um, you are, you've ovulated and depending on where you're at in your cycle. So you, ha- you have that hunger because you are, um, yeah, you, your progesterone is is causing that because of that thermogenic effect so i do find a lot of women undereat or they're not eating enough in certain macronutrients and i find that protein is one of them and so just making sure that women are having like well-rounded meals that have these macronutrients in so protein fats and carbohydrates and i feel like a lot of if you're eating more frequently throughout the day and not fasting too too long as well that can also help with that that hunger that you experience in the the late luteal phase as well.
0: And then we know that our gut health is connected to our skin, our brain. Can areas of our gut health also affect our menstrual cycle?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we look at health and we look at the body, nothing in the body works in isolation or what i always say with my clients so if something is going on with your your reproductive system or you're having menstrual cycle issues we need to look up the chain we need to look at gut health we need to look at thyroid health there's so many things that we need to look at and yes there are many things that can like your gut health can impact the way that you experience your menstrual cycle Um, you know, maybe you have a gluten intolerance and you're consuming high amounts of gluten and that's causing you pain and discomfort with your menstrual cycle or heavy bleeding. Maybe there is some sort of gut dysbiosis that you have and that is also causing issues with your menstrual cycle. So a lot of this pain and discomfort that women get in their menstrual cycle, it could just be driven by inflammation that could be driven by the gut. And there's a big correlation between women who have endo and um, they usually have those, those IBS-like symptoms. So, And there's a big correlation between, say, endo and also um, SIBO as well, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So a lot of women that do have endo usually experience those
0: IBS symptoms as well. One of the things that is normalized during your period is pain. And this makes me think, what are other misconceptions around the menstrual cycle that we need to either debunk or you know bring more awareness to i think it's ingrained in us at such a young age that it's a burden
1: to us (laughs) like i don't know about you but i was always told that you're going to have this thing that you experience once a month and it's going to be you know horrible and you're going to live with it for the next 40 years and i think like the more you understand as a woman what your body does like the menstrual cycle is fascinating and I think the more that you can connect to that and understand what is actually happening in your body, the more appreciation you have of what, what the menstrual cycle is and what we actually do on a monthly basis. Um, but common things that I see, like pain is a big one. I think women have just, they've been told that pain is normal um, and it's been normalised and it's not normal. And so if you are experiencing pain and you're relying on pain medication in and around that part of your cycle, then I, I, I dig deeper. I'd seek, I'd seek help. And the pill isn't, you know, it, the pill often gets prescribed for that, um, whatever that person is experiencing. And it's just a, it's just a band aid. It's just a blanket approach and trying to understand what is driving that. And then also with the pill comes other symptoms, you know, and it can impact your health in other ways as well. So I think pain is the pain is uh a big one. heavy periods has been normalized as well um, I think they're probably like the two two major ones, yeah, mood swings as well like I think everyone thinks that just because of where they're at in their cycle in that late luteal phase that they should be erratic and <laughs> all over the place, but like you shouldn't see those highs and lows when it comes to mood swings. <laughs> Yeah, it's really interesting once you start to unpack or once I start to unpack with clients, like I haven't even started with supplements or anything and I just start with nutrition alone and they can see such a difference in the way that they experience their menstrual cycle. It's amazing. Like food quality and quantity can do so much for your health.
0: Faye, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It has been such a pleasure. And for all our listeners who want to learn a little bit more, we'll put links in our show notes below. This podcast, please give us a five star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait
1: Islander peoples.